0: So we sang today of the power of the name of Jesus, and I think it would be good for us just to go to him in prayer. We sang it, but let's talk to him about this, all right? Let's pray. Father, we just take some time right now to think about the evidence of that, that the name of Jesus is more powerful than anything that comes against it. Just as I think about our church family, Lord, I think of Annette, and I think of the way the, the name of Jesus has reigned over her life and has sustained her through difficult times, and you've brought her through difficult surgeries, and you're moving her step by step towards healing. Lord, thank you for that. I thank you for Tanya, who, Lord, I remember just a couple Christmases ago, she was at death's door. You've revived her, you've restored her. The power of the name of Jesus. I think of Neva and the way that her back surgery could have been so terrible, and yet you cared for her and provided for her in a miraculous way. I think of just even the presence of Woodside here. It's not that long ago that we would never be allowed in a public space. That no one would ever want to be associated with with this church, Lord. And yet, yesterday, organizations came to us and said, Would you work with us? We like you here. We want your influence in our lives, and so we invite you to join us. Lord, that's the power of the name of Jesus. That's nothing of man. That's nothing of simple human effort. It's the law of Jesus who said, love one another as I've loved you at work. And so that credit goes to you. Lord, there's so many other stories that are represented in this room and those beyond the room. And we say, Lord, glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who has proven that He's more powerful than anything. And Lord, we know there's challenges that we will be facing. There's some that are struggling right now with relationship issues that seem huge and daunting. There's some that are facing physical challenges, Lord. We prayed for them just a few minutes ago in our pre-service prayer time, Lord, and we bring them to you again. We pray for Bobby. We pray for Connie. We pray for Jan. We pray for others, Lord, that are a really dark time right now. We pray for Christy, And Lord, we pray that the name of Jesus would be glorified in their situation. Father, you reign. We believe you reign right now. And you're choosing to wait for your full glorious appearing because you want more and more people to know you so they can experience glory in your presence forever. Thank you for your patience, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to prompt us to be your ambassadors into this world, letting the world know of your love and your mercy and your grace so that they can experience, Lord, eternity of joy and discovery and fulfillment and wholeness. We just pray that more of your glory would spread in this community, that more and more people, Lord, would move from being interested to falling in love with you. Lord, Oh, it's only the Spirit of God that can make that make that journey. We pray that, that you would do that. Lord, we beg you. We're gonna keep asking. We're gonna keep asking until we see revival come, until we see true community transformation. We love you so much. Thanks for uniting our hearts to sing. And now as we study, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to listening heeding, and obeying as you speak to us. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Thanks, you can be seated. Well, so glad you're with us today. I'm so glad the kids are here. If you are like a kid, I mean literally, not like kid-minded, but you're a kid, would you raise two hands up in the air? All right, yes, thank you. Give them a hand, everybody. Love kids being here. I just want to say you guys have been doing so well. I know it's not quite as fun as like Woodside Kids, um, but you've been listening well. You've been co- coloring your sheets. I love it when you guys come show me what you colored after service. That's really cool. Um, so so I hope I, I see some good pictures today. Um, uh, you adults have been listening fairly well too. Um, if you do need a coloring sheet to help you, that's A-OK, as long as we... All the kids get their copy. If there's extra, you can have yours, all right? Um, we're going to tell stories today. So kids, before you get to going on your, on your coloring, let me tell you a story, all right? This is a story that Jesus told, um, and Jesus, we love to hear Jesus' stories because they're, they're always very emotional because Jesus always had a huge point to make when he told a story, Often, Jesus was confronting a thought process that people had that, was, that would cause them to miss out on the kingdom of God. That was many times why Jesus told a story. If you keep thinking that way, Jesus is kind of saying, if you keep thinking that way, you're going to miss the kingdom of God. So when he tells a story, he's inviting you to understand what the kingdom of God is like in hopes that you will pursue it. So as we hear this story, everybody, I hope you know that Jesus is saying, so... Will you join me? So that's the question that will be asked at the end. So what are you going to do about this story? Are you going to come with Jesus, or are you going to still think that there's a different kingdom that's better than what the kingdom of God truly is? So this story um, confronts this value. The value of the love of money. In Luke chapter 16, if you've got your Bibles there, I encourage you to turn there to Luke chapter 16. Uh, Jesus was talking to a crowd of people specifically about money. Jesus was identifying that there were some, especially in the religious elite, that really prided themselves in the money that they had. So Jesus even said, you can't love God and love money. You can't have two masters. There's only one that's going to rule. It's either money or it's God. It's the love of money or it's the love of God. Now, some of us kind of push back on that and say actually i think i've there's times in my life where i've done that i've pursued riches and yet i love god too because i want to use my riches for god so i pursue that and i pursue god but you would have to admit that there comes a time when you have to make a choice and it's at that choice that crossroads where you will decide am i do i truly love god or do i truly love money you can't love both one has to be primary So Jesus was telling that. And the Pharisees, it says in Luke chapter 16, they began talking amongst themselves, ridiculing Jesus. They were making fun of Jesus. Imagine the audacity of that. Say Jesus came in the room and he sat up here. And there was some in the back, probably the Chilufos, that start whispering together. And Joe... (laughs) Right, He gives that awesome laugh that we love so much, pointing to Jesus. Could you imagine that? We would say, no way. There's no way that would ever happen. People don't laugh at Jesus. Well, these guys did. So Jesus tells them a story. Here's what a story does. A story comes to the back door of your heart. Because if a truth comes to the front door, you'll say, forget it. So Jesus said, okay, I'm going to go to the back door. I'll tell this story. It's kind of interesting. You'll find it intriguing. And maybe then as the story ends, you'll realize, oh, okay, so maybe there is truth to that. Jesus' parables, that's what the Bible calls them, come through the back door of our heart. It moves around those typical walls we erect. Here's the story. I told you kids I'd tell the story, then I talked a bunch. Sorry about that. Here's the story. It's a good one. Jesus says in verse 19 of Luke 16, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So that's... It's most of the story. There's more, but we'll get to the rest in just a minute. Like many of Jesus' stories, there's two main characters and like a central point or a dilemma. We kind of had that with the prodigal son, right? There's the older son and the younger son and the father. Here we have the rich man and the poor man named Lazarus and death. So the rich man, how is the rich man described? Well, the scripture says that the rich man was clothed in purple. Now, in ancient times, purple was a very expensive type of cloth. That's why only rich people today wear purple. Isn't that right, Miss Turner? Yes. yes, you have to have an exquisite salary like a high school band director in order to afford purple. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it was, it was, it was different then. There's only two ways to make purple fabric. Both of them were extraordinarily expensive. So if you wore purple, it was because you were flaunting your wealth. You had so much that you could spend it on on stuff like that. It also says, interestingly, he had, and he wore fine linen. This was a very dignified way to say even his underwear was posh. Right, so his outerwear was exquisite, even his underwear was like the top drawer. (laughs) No pun intended, of of that. Right, so and and then it says he feasted sumptuously every day. Remember the parable last week, and the Pharisee stood in the corner and said, "Lord, you know I'm not like that guy because what does he do every day?" Because I fast and pray every day. That's how he prided himself. Right? So Jesus tells this story and, and says, this guy feasted every day. So you've got last week's story where they they pride themselves in their religious activity. Now you've got this guy who prided himself in his luxuries. Right? So I feast sumptuously every day. So this is the image of self-reliance, self-indulgence. And a superiority spirit. So that's the rich man. And then there's the poor man. And what's his name? Lazarus, Lazarus right? Different Lazarus than um, the one that raised, Jesus raised from the dead. So it's a different story, all right? So, and tell me just to review this story. What was the rich man's name? Oh, he does not have any. Okay, right there, Jesus had their attention. The rich man would have been the person that everybody knew. The poor man would have been the person that no one even knew his name. He's just the poor guy laying at the gate of some rich guy. I don't even know his name. Just step over him or go around. So Jesus says, the rich man doesn't have a name. This guy has a name. Do you know what Lazarus means? The word, the name Nazar- Lazarus means... The one whom the Lord helped. So what is, it, what is this guy like? The poor man. It says that he was covered in sores. So much so that the dogs of the street. These weren't the pets. These weren't the, you know, the little guys that keep him occupied. No, these were the strays. These were the ones, the garbage eaters of the village. They were the only ones that gave this poor man attention. And they came and licked his weeping sores. So he was sat at this man's gate, begging for food. He just wanted to eat from the garbage, from the stuff that the rich man didn't want. It kind of wiped off the table. He wanted to eat that, but he was not allowed to eat even the crumbs from the rich man's table. So think of the irony. Jesus says, this guy was called the one whom the Lord helps. And the Pharisees must have been thinking, yeah, helped a lot. <laughs> Couldn't heal those diseases. <coughs> Couldn't give him food. I don't think he's the one the Lord's helping. So, so there's all this going on emotionally as Jesus t- is telling this story. And then the dilemma. What happened to both of these guys? They both died. Jesus mentions the poor man first. The poor man dies and is carried by the angels to Abraham's side, the place of paradise, the promise, promised rest that, G, that God gave as a promise to the Jewish people, to Abraham and his descendants of faith. So the angels carry the poor man to Abraham's side. The rich man also dies and is buried. Now, there's no mention of the poor man's burial, right? Probably because that wasn't significant at all. Probably had no family to support him. Probably was just thrown into the open grave, the common grave, excuse me, the common grave of poor, disconnected, marginalized people of that day. So there's not even worth mentioning his burial. The rich man there is. Because that guy probably had the tomb of all tombs. It probably had the one that you would probably go to and say, man, look at that. That's incredible. That's that family's grave site. That's the mausoleum with their name etched in stone above it, right? So that man is buried, the rich man buried, and where was he carried? No, nothing about that. It simply says he was in Hades, the place of torment and judgment. So being in torment, he sees Abraham with Lazarus at his side. Where was the poor man on earth when he lived on earth? Where was he? He's at the gate, right? Of the of the rich man, couldn't even get food. Where, where is he now? The right hand of Abraham the father of the Jews, right? Are you kidding me? So the rich man cries out and says, Father Abraham, probably right there, Jesus is addressing in this story what he had heard from the Pharisees when they're arguing with Jesus. Earlier they said to Jesus, you talk about your father. We don't even know who your father is. We know who our father is. That's Abraham. So Jesus tells this story and the rich man says, Father Abraham, Well, if that's true, why is he not at Abraham's side? Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to come help me. Imagine being Lazarus. What? No, I'm not going there. Right? I'm I'm at Abraham's side. There's no way I'm going there. Imagine this audacity of this rich man. What was his perspective of this poor man now? Now after death, now in Hades, facing the judgment of God, how does he view the poor man named Lazarus? As his servant? As somebody to come meet his needs? He's still viewing himself as exalted and primary and viewing other people like this poor guy as only worth serving his needs. Some people have this idea that in hell, people will be so repentant and God in his love will see their hearts turn and eventually he'll say, okay, you've paid enough. Your heart's pure now. Come on up here. There's no indication anywhere in scripture that a person's heart changes in hell. But if their heart is hardened against God on this earth, their heart will be hardened against God for all of eternity. And Jesus hints to that in this story, that here's this rich man still thinking that these other people's purpose is only to meet his own needs. There's one point I want to make sure we capture is that our final destiny is determined by our belief in this world, in this life, that your lifetime you're living right now and what happens in this time will determine all of eternity for you. That there's no indication in scripture that you live this way and then it, you die and then your heart turns and you kind of wake up to reality and then you kind of experience this floating kind of thing and end up in God's side. No, it, the scripture clearly teaches that in this life, what you believe determines what all of eternity will be for you. The point of this parable is that the rich man is in hell because he justified himself by his luxuries for himself rather than demonstrating his love for Lazarus and God. That he's in hell because he justified himself by his luxuries for himself. In other words, during our time on this earth, If we pursue things instead of God, then then earth will be the extent of our heaven, and eternity will be our hell. But if during our time on earth, God is our treasure, no matter how many bad things happen, then earth will be the extent of our hell, and eternity will be our heaven. You get that? So if you want heaven on earth, if that's what you're going to pursue, make people happy with you, you're popular, you've, you're wearing purple like Miss Turner, um, you have everything you need. If that's your pursuit, then this will be your heaven. And then all of eternity, you'll experience judgment in hell. Whereas if your pursuit in this life is loving God and fulfilling his desires for your life and pursuing him and experience his his salvation, if if your pursuit is God and his kingdom, then the garbage of this world, which you will have, thus the masks, this, this will be our hell. This will be the closest we get to hell is this life right here. And all of eternity will be our eternal existence in heaven. What happens now determines what our eternity will be. Let me tell you what this does not mean, okay? Everybody listening? Are you you still with me, most of you? Okay, or at least halfway through your coloring sheet, okay? This does not mean that if you're rich in this world, you have no hope for eternity. That's not what that means. You, You read through scripture, and you will see Abraham becoming a very rich man, right? You see Job being the richest man in all the East, And yet God considering him righteous. Even in the New Testament, when Paul tells Timothy, hey, you might have some rich people in the church. Here's what I want you to tell them. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Tell rich people this, if they're in your church. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. So Paul doesn't say to Timothy, so if you got rich people in your church, tell them, you better change your status now. Give to the church quick so that you can go to heaven. No, he doesn't say that. He's saying God's blessed you. He's blessed you to be a blessing to the world. So don't trust in your riches. Instead, be generous in good works. Be generous in doing good deeds and be humble. Mm Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean if you're rich, you have no hope for eternity, which you probably say it also doesn't mean that if you're poor, your your heaven is, is secure. Because scripture also talks, it does talk glowingly about being poor in spirit. And it does give honor to the poor. However, there's also this idea that if you are lazy, if you get up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going back to bed, and you get, get, get at night, you say, "Yeah, you know, I'm going to turn in early." Then poverty is more like a curse to you. So poverty isn't spiritual, and riches unspiritual. That's not what this parable is saying. Secondly, it does not mean that using your money for the good of others will buy you a spot to he- in heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying, "So if you do good things, then heaven's going to be your home." That's not what he's saying. According, uh, Titus, according to Titus chapter 3, it says, Not according to our good deeds which we have done has he saved us, but according to his mercy, according to his grace, we are saved. But it does show that the way you use your riches or your power or whatever, we could put a lot of things in this category of riches... The way you use that shows whether your heart has been changed, whether your faith is in God, whether you're living for the kingdom of God or if you are living for luxury or for yourself. This story tells us that our hands do what our hearts believe. All right? Our our hands will do what our hearts believe. In fact, I need you to say that with me because you you, got to go home with this. Your hands, my hands, will do what my heart believes. That's the point of this parable. That you will do, we could examine your life, God could examine your life, and that would be the fruit, the evidence of what's in your heart. If you're generous with your time and generous with your things and generous uh, with, towards others, that gives evidence, not undying proof, but evidence that your heart is pursuing the things of God. It's evidence of what you believe. James chapter 2 and verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, if he's sitting at your gate just asking for just some crumbs, and one of you says to them, Ah, go in peace without giving them the things needed for his body, what good is that? So faith by itself, it, if it does not have works, is dead. Whereas Paul wrote to the Ephesians, it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not by works. Next verse says, but we are saved for good works, in order to do good works. That's why we as a church seek to be actively involved in seeking the good of the community in which we dwell. I believe that's a timeless principle that God's given his people to seek the good in the community where God's placed us because when they see your good works, they might glorify your father who's in heaven. And so that's why we clean parks and that's why we help seniors and and, um, those with fixed incomes, maybe with protecting their property with sandbags. That's why we jump in and say, yeah, we'll help you. That's why we help people in food insecurities. That's why we say to our life groups, our small groups, don't just be so self-consumed and getting together and feeling good because you're studying the Bible. No, get together, study the Bible, support one another, and then get out there and make a difference in your community because it's not just about us. God forms himself in us so that we can be sent like he sent his son. As Jesus said, okay, I'm going to the Father, but like the Father sent me to you, so I'm sending you to them. So that you can go, you can serve, and you can give, and you can care, you can demonstrate compassion. The story of the rich man and Lazarus shows us that there is physical evidence of what you truly believe. So, what should we believe? That's a pretty important question. If, if, if it gives evidence of what we believe, what, what is it we should be believing? And the rest of the story tells us that there has been revelation given to us so we know what to believe. Point two, revelation has been given to direct us. Just a couple of weeks ago, Liam, and it came to me. He brought me, my grandson, a, a treasure map. And on this map was a picture of a red house and then some dots. If you follow these dots, you pass a couple of trees, you cross a little creek, and then there's an X on this map. So the two of us, remember that? The two of us, we we got that map, and we we tried to follow the the dots that were on the map. We crossed the creek, and then we went past, not by that tree or by that tree, but, but over here, and we dug right there where that map said to dig. And we found it. We found the worm. (laughs) <laughs> we found the treasure. We didn't know what it was going to be, but, but, but we found it. Well, that's what, that's what we see in this passage as the story continues, that, that God did give us direction. He revealed to us. He gave us revelation so we know what to believe. Listen to the story as it continues. So the rich man calls, hey, send, send Lazarus so I, so I can be relieved. And he said, no, there's this big gull fixed can't do that and then verse 20 is it verse 27 he said then I beg you father to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may be may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment so the rich man kind of realizes oh, I'm, I'm toast literally I'm doomed this is my death but I got family my my family shouldn't come here Right? Our name's on the mausoleum, so we don't want people with that name to come here. So send Lazarus to go tell my my family. Like once again, just imagine Lazarus. Like, what? You want me to go back where there's sores and starvation? Really? That's my purpose, is just to do what you want. You want me to leave paradise to go tell your five brothers who will probably make me sit at the gate and beg for food again. You want me to do that? And Abraham says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, no. God's God's already said. There's been plenty plenty of witness. What is that witness? What are the words of Moses? If Moses... If Abraham says they have Moses and the prophet, what did Moses say? Well, you could summarize the law of Moses, like Jesus did, where he says the law could be summed up in this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Moses already said it. Love God and love others. And rich man, you've been loving yourself and you've been despising others. So the witness has already been there. What about the prophets? Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. In these things I delight. The prophets already told him. Moses and the prophets already told the rich man and his brothers. Isaiah in 53, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. The prophets already said, we are a miserable people desperate for a savior. It's clear from God's timeless word That when we open our hearts to God who loves us, we experience his cleansing, we live out his love, that's God's revealed desire for us. You know, and then he says, the rich man says, okay, well wait, no father, but if someone, this is verse 30, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. So if Lazarus goes back, And tells them, surely they'll see, oh, he died, but now he's alive. Let's listen to him. And then Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Whoa, how prophetic is that? Who do you know that rose from the dead and revealed himself to hundreds of people and people still didn't believe? That's Jesus. Over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ, and yet the world still would not believe. So now, the reality is, what keeps you from believing the words of Christ will keep you from believing the work of Christ. What kept the rich man and his family from believing the words of God? Greed. Pursuing their own Desires. They were justifying themselves by their wealth. They were l- causing their. They were. I, they were creating their own identity based on what they had. That's what their pursuit was. And they would look down on other people based on what they didn't have. Now, aren't you glad we don't do that? <laughs> None of us would be so crass to say. You know, I look around here and I, th- I think I'm. Yeah, I think I'm the best because I have the most. No, we wouldn't do that. But aren't there times when, when in our day we see somebody that's maybe in poverty or of some kind and you think, glad I'm not that. Glad I made better choices. I'm glad I'm smarter than they are. Or, or maybe it's not wealth that way. Like, maybe, maybe it's our athleticism. That that's what we pride ourselves in. That's what kind of lifts us above other but everybody else because we're young and spry and we're athletic. Maybe it's good looks. Some of you I know you don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with that, right? But no, isn't there that thought that, that maybe I can feel a bit more superior to others. We justify ourselves by these earthly things. Jesus is confronting that as he's confronting this justifying ourselves by our wealth. He says, no, the only thing that justifies you is the message of salvation. How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, is what Jesus would later say. I think you could also say, how hard is it for those who are successful to enter the kingdom of God? Because we pride ourselves in success and other earthly things. So there's some important truths this parable teaches us. First of all, it teaches us that there is a heaven to rejoice in and there is a hell to fear. His story tells us that there is a heaven. And boy, if you're struggling in this life, believe in Jesus, know that it's going to be past. And as Paul says, what's going to come is going to make this like momentary. It, that glory far exceeds this pain. So delight in that. For, for, for many of us, this is the only hell we will ever experience if we believe in Jesus. But in the ex- exact opposite of that, we don't talk a lot about hell because it doesn't make us comfortable. But Jesus did. Jesus says it's a real place. He talked much about the flames, about the torment of hell. It's a place to be feared. Secondly, I think this parable tells us the very things that our culture tells us to take pride in could be very well the things that blinds us to our need of God's grace. Think of what our culture says we should pursue. Riches. Security, youthfulness, power. Man, is there not a pursuit of power right now in our culture? Everybody's looking for power. I think that's what a lot of this is, just a pursuit of power. But those, the pursuit of those things is often what will blind us from our need of God's grace. So beware. Thirdly, the parable tells us that God has not left us without a witness. He hasn't said, well, I hope you find the treasure. The the word of God has given to us clarity on how to experience the kingdom of God. It only comes as we recognize that God has sent his son as our redeemer, that he's given his life for our salvation. There is no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. There's no other way our sins can be forgiven other than by faith and trust in Jesus. So what are the questions that drive us today? Well, have we turned from our trust in things or behavior to trusting in Jesus who gave his life for me? Has there been a time when you've turned from trusting in this earthly stuff and said, okay, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm trusting in you. If not, today could be the day. Today could be that day of salvation for you. I encourage you to turn to him. And I guess another question that I have for you is, oh, wait, I hear the word of God. <laughs> How do you turn that stupid thing off, John? <laughs> Not stupid. I didn't mean the word of God. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Just turn the volume down. <laughs> That's great. That's great. But I did want to mention that August the 9th, we're having a baptism service. And so, so <laughs> um, some of you, you've placed your faith in Jesus. You have yet to publicly declare that through baptism. So talk to me. Let's, have, let's, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's watch God's glory shine as you testify of your faith through baptism. So it's the night. Another question we need to ask is, are we living as people who have been saved by God's grace so that we can do good works. When God looks at your life, does he see your heart motivated to do good for others? That won't save you, but it's evidence that your heart is his. A lot of times we have those points of decision in our life, we're tired, we we served before yesterday, we don't want to serve again today. And that's where we bring ourselves to that question, wait a second, what has happened to my heart? Is my heart his, or have I taken that heart back? A living sacrifice, do I need to present myself again to the Lord as a living sacrifice? Does your behavior display what you claim to believe? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for stories like this that really open our eyes to some powerful truths. Father, we we many times don't want to be like the poor man. We don't want to be the guy with the sores and starving. For some reason, we think that if we have stuff and riches, Lord, that we're more maybe successful or more valuable. But Lord, no matter what you bring into our life, may our heart be pursuing the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you for revealing your plan of salvation to us, Lord. You've revealed, Father, all that you have done to provide us with salvation. Lord, and I pray that our hearts would be committed to that. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that has never truly turned to you for salvation, I pray that today would be that day. Because, Lord, we want... We want to truly understand that no matter our earthly situation, we're not slaves anymore. We are sons of God. We are a child of God. We're yours. And may our lives demonstrate that, Lord. That's our desire. In Jesus' name, we pray all this. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this powerful truth about who you are. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've accepted God's salvation, you are a child of God. That's who you are. Let's think about that.